I'd like to thank, can you hear me? Check, 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 check. Okay, good. I'd like to thank the audiovisual team for giving me different options to try. For the past three weeks that we've been open, I've tried different things to keep us safe. At the same time, me be able to present the message. First week, I tried the face shield, uh, but reflection is, is there. And last week, I tried with the, with the mask on, with the lapel mic, but that it's rubbing against the, the mask, and it's, it's not good. This week, I'm trying this. So can you hear me? Yes? <laughs> okay. It, it helps me to walk around, even though I, I, I'm holding with one hand, but still, I can walk around. So that's good. Thank you so much for doing so. <clears throat> Have you ever had your water shut off in your house? For a couple hours? For a day or two? <laughs> How was it when you had no water in the house? Oh, it's not fun. When you cannot drink water, you can at least buy some water and, and have water bottles at home. If you can't cook, you can eat something like canned food or something. But if you cannot take a shower, that's another thing. But if you cannot flush your toilet, oh, that's, that's another problem, right? So water is essential in our lives, yes. And today we are talking about the river of life in the very last chapter of, of Revelation. So before we begin, let's go ahead and have a quick prayer. Father God in heaven, we pray that you please come here into this place and speak through me. Hide me and may your words be delivered. Be delivered. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Revelation 21, 22 talks about the river of life. And the river of life is flowing from where? What does the Bible say? The scripture reading that Liam just read, thank you. It says, the river of life is flowing, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. The water is coming out from there. So water is the essential part, but it's coming from the throne of God. In the story of Israelites, people had a lot of times, especially during the 40 years of, of wilderness experience, while they were camping for 40 years, they ran out of water sometimes. When they run out of water, what did God do to provide water for them? Sometimes he would turn bitter water into sweet water so people could drink it. Sometimes if there was no water whatsoever, then God would tell Moses to hit the rock and the water gushed out from the rocks. And you can even still go there and find the water marks on the on the rocks. And it's just amazing how God provided water for them. And this God, same God is providing the water of life in heaven for all the heavenly people, the citizens there. When you go there, he'll provide the living water for us to drink. Do you, at home, do you buy bottled water or do you drink tap water? Do you have water, the five-gallon water bottle delivered to your house or do you have a water filter connected to your sink? How do you drink water? We all have different ways of water, right? But if you run out of water, like when we were living at Andrews, uh, we had those two five-gallon water bottles, and I would take it to Apple Valley Market in front of the, uh, Andrews, 
and it will fill up the water. It's like about a dollar or so per, per five-gallon water. And I would carry it, and I would bring it to home, bring it home, and drink, it, drink the water there. But sometimes we run out of water. That means we have no water to drink at home. Uh, I don't want to drink the tap water, even though you could. Michigan cleaner, uh, pure water, Michigan. <laughs> but still, I don't want to drink the tap water. But um, yeah, sometimes it will run out. But here, up in heaven, the river of life, the water will never run out because the water is coming from the throne of God and that water is abundant and it is a source of life. No matter how much water you drink at home, you will get thirsty. You will need more water. But when you go to heaven, that water that you would have will be, will be a life-reviving water. And that water is abundant. So, I'm going to go to heaven and drink that water. I wonder how that water will taste like. You know the water tastes different? Water that you buy from Costco, from Walmart, spring water, distilled water, filtered water, they all taste different. The water tastes from, from San Diego to Arizona to Montana. I'm sure they taste different. So water is special and very essential in our lives. And that river water is up in heaven. Now, <clears throat> when the Israelites ran out of water, um, that's what God provided for them. But one thing that you need to know is that in the old times, every time there is a war, when war breaks out, the first thing the kings would secure is what? Water source. The first thing they have to secure is water source because... You can survive if you, if you are seized, and if you don't have food, you can survive a little longer. But if you have no water in the city, what will happen? You have no life. <laughs> you can't even stand a couple days without water. Food, you can go longer, maybe weeks. But water, no. So the water source is the first thing they secure. And you can't even see that when you go to Israel. There is something called Hezekiah's Tunnel. I talked about this a few times in my sermon, but Hezekiah's tunnel is something that you can see and you can actually something touch and tangibly see that God has, the Bible is real and you can still find that Hezekiah's tunnel. So that was built in about 7th uh, century BC from the seas by Assyrians. So Assyrians came and seized the city and King Hezekiah built the tunnel made the tunnel, and that is about 583 yards, about 533 meters, about quarter, not quarter, one-third of a mile long. And they dug the tunnel from one end, from the Gihon Spring to the Pool of Siloam. That's how they're connected. So one side, they would follow through the, the water, flowing through the cracks. They would chisel. If you go in, you can see the chisel marks all over. It's really tight. It's about three feet wide and maybe about five feet tall. So you will have to scoot down when you go in for most people. And the water comes up to about your, your, your ankle or your knee or sometimes to your waist, depending on how much water is there, depending on the season. But the water is flowing. And from one end to the other is about 12 inches different in the altitude. So the water is always flowing. 24-7, and all year long, the water is flowing. It's cool water and fresh water. 
So that water is flowing, and one group of, of uh, workers will dig from one side, and the other side they will dig. And how do you meet when they had no satellite and no computer images? How did they do it? They follow through the water how it's flowing. And the water, it's not straight, it's going curved, but then it's, it has found, they found they met in the middle. And that's how they dug the water source and kept the water from, um, because one, the water source was outside of the city wall. So they, they hit it and they dug the tunnel and they kept the water source there. So that's, that's important. And that's what God is going to bless us when you go to heaven with the living water. And on the each of verse 2, let me read verse 2, Revelation 22, verse 2, and it says, Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing the twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are there for the healing of the nations. So the picture the Bible draws is that on the either side of the river is the tree of life. It's growing. And according to Ellen White's vision, it looks like from the Bible, it's two trees. But if you look at the Bible in, in Greek, it's singular. It's one tree. It's not two. But its root is on, on either side of the river. But the tree meets up in the air, in the, in, on top. So it's one tree that has root on, on both sides. It's yielding 12 different crops. We talked about how you can prune the trees to have... 12 different, or many different, uh, it could bear many different fruits. We talked about grafting the tree, right? So that's the, the tree of life that you will see up in heaven. And if you remember, the Bible starts with what picture? At the very beginning, it starts with the Garden of Eden. And in the middle, what do you have? In the middle of the garden, what tree do you have? Well, yeah, you, you have the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but also you have the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. That's how the Bible starts. And how is the Bible ending the very last chapter? Ending with the tree of life. So what does that tell you? The Bible, the whole history of humanity started with the tree of life, and now it's ending with the tree of life. It tells you, Eden that God has given to Adam and Eve is now restored. It's complete restoration. That's how the Bible is ending. Do you want to go there and sit under the tree by the riverbank and enjoy the fellowship with everyone? We need to go there because God is preparing the place for you and me, and we have to go. Otherwise, we will lose that place. We will give that, give that up to somebody else. We don't want to do that. God has enough space for each and every one of us to be there and fellowship with one another. So we should go there. The beauty of heaven. Heaven is such a beautiful place. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has ever conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. So when you imagine heaven, we are limited with this, this mind, human mind, that we cannot really picture what heaven is going to be like. And even Ellen White, when she went up and saw it, she was speechless. She couldn't even express how it was like when she came back. She had no words. Just to help you 
grasp this idea, let me demonstrate something. I started driving back in the 90s. Um, that's when I got my first license, and that's how I started driving. I'm sure many of you started driving before me. Um, but when I first started driving, the fancy cars had automatic gear shifters. I started driving a, the standard, the manual transmission. Does anybody remember how to drive a manual? Some of you still do. <laughs> Many of you don't, okay? So that's how it was. And the expensive cars had CD players. The other ones had cassette players or just the radios like AM, FM, right? And AC was an option. Do you remember that? Nowadays, most cars, AC is just, you know, you have like automatic everything. But AC was an option. And before, it used to be just the keys. You have to turn and put the key in and turn it. And there was no remote or no push button or nothing. No sensors, no parking sensors. And nowadays, the car not only shows what you are backing up to, it actually parks for you. You know that, those cars? You come out, push a remote button, and it parks parallel parking perfectly for you. Um, cars have come so far. And um, I remember the, the mirrors, side mirrors. They were, they're, nowadays, they're automatic, right? When you go in, it adjusts the, the angles for you automatically. Before, you had to go out and push the side of the mirror to adjust it. Remember that part? Or you tell your buddy, like, okay, roll down the window and push, that but push the mirror that side so I can see better, right? Do you remember that part? <laughs> That's how it was. But nowadays, they have so many different, oh, have you ever driven a car without a cruise control? Without cruise control? It's, it's so difficult to drive a car without cruise control. But nowadays, it's not only cruise control, it has uh, adaptive cruise control. If you set the speed limit to 65, it would go maintain the speed for 65, or it would slow down if there's traffic, or even come to a complete stop, and then it will start for you. You don't really have to pedal or brake. It will just drive for you. Not only that, if you get like one of those fancy cars like Tesla and self-driving cars, you have to just push the button. Okay, I want to go here, and then the, the car will drive itself. It will turn, it will change lanes, it will it, do, do anything. And then it will just go, right? So I don't know if you read the news. There was a, a group of people that got caught drinking inside the car, drinking. But there was nobody sitting in the driver's seat. The cop pulled them over and scratching his head. Should I give them a ticket for DUI or not? <laughs> because no one was driving in the driver's seat. The car was driving itself. But the people in the passenger seat in the back, they were actually drinking. So should they get a ticket or not? <laughs> so that's how far it has come. Just 10, 20, 30 years. That's what happened. Now, do you think 10, 20, 30 years from now, the technology will be different? will be advanced, what do you think? Yes, it should be. Can you imagine what will happen? You know, 30 years ago, when I first started driving, I couldn't even imagine things like this would be existing and be common everywhere. But now we are living in that time. Some of you own those cars, right? It's reality. 30 years from now, 50 years from now, 
cars will be so much more advanced that we cannot even imagine how it will be. But we know for sure because of what we have experienced, that's coming and that will be reality soon. So if you think of it that way, heaven is something that we have never imagined before. But when you go there, you'll be like, wow, this is awesome. This is so great. So that's how beautiful heaven is going to be like. Even though I can't really express it, imagine it, how it will be, but it will be just so amazing. Ellen White said this, and it's up on the screen. Uh, Early Writings, page 289, says, Language is altogether too feeble to attempt a description of heaven. She said, no matter how, what kind of words that I use, I can't even find words and language. Human language is not good enough to express heaven. So, you can try all you want, but it's better than that. Okay, let's just put it this way. And the next quote that I want to share is from Life Sketches, page 67. It says, We all went under the tree and sat down to look at the glory of the place when brethren Fitch and Stockman, who had preached the gospel of the kingdom and whom God had laid in the grave to save them, came up to us and asked us what we had passed through while they were sleeping. We tried to come up with, come up, uh, we tried to call up our greatest trials. But they look so small compared with the far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory that surrounded us that we could not speak them out. We all cried out, hallelujah, heaven is cheap enough. And we touched our, we touched our glorious harps and made heaven's arches ring. So here Ellen White is mentioning when she went up to heaven in her vision, she met two brothers, Fitch and Stockman. And they came to Ellen White and said, okay, so what happened after we died? Tell us what had happened, the trials, the difficulties that you went through. And Ellen White was trying to think, so what did we go through? And she couldn't even remember, or even the things that she remembered, compared to this beautiful glory and heavens, amazing, um, this, she said, you know what, the things that I went through is nothing. So who were those two brethren? Fitch and, and Stockman. Fitch, um, so Brother Fitch, Charles Fitch, was a powerful preacher during the Millen, uh, Millerite movement. And his message was come out of Babylon. But the thing about this, this, uh, this man is that he died on uh, October 14th of 1844. October 14th of 1844 is just eight days prior to October 22, 1844. Just two days ago was that October 22, right? It was 174 years or something anniversary of that date. The great disappointment. Meaning, he was the preacher uh, proclaiming the message that Jesus is coming back in, on October 22, 1844. And he preached the message so strongly, but he died just about a week before that day. But do you think his family was sad? When he died? Not so much, because in a week, they will see him back. He will resurrect, because Jesus is coming in a week. So, um, Charles Fitch died in hope that in a week, Jesus is going to come back. But he's still sleeping, because Jesus hasn't come back after about 174 years. And Brother Stockman, he was a, uh, who was a pastor, but he died in 
in July of 1844, just a few months before the same, the, the eight, uh, October 22, 1844. So just a few months prior, again, same thing. He was a pastor, well-known pastor. Ellen White went and got counsel from, from him as well. But he died. And both of them did not go through what? Because they died prior to that date, October 22, 1844. They did not, they have no knowledge of the great disappointment. All they know is that, yes, Jesus is coming very soon. They all got excited. The whole America, whole, like, the New England, that part of America, and, and if I remember correctly, about half, one-third or half of whole American population heard about that message, and they were, they were excited. And many parts outside of U.S. also heard about it, and they were all waiting for Jesus to come. And when that day came, they were all excited. They, get, they threw away their money on the street. Jesus is coming tomorrow. What, I mean, what's the money for? And they didn't, they left their farms, they left their stores, they all went out to prepare, and they were waiting for Jesus to come. But when that day came, what happened? On that essential rock, when they gathered and waiting for Jesus to come, they never came. Jesus never came. They waited from like the midnight of October 21st, that midnight, they waited all day long. Jesus is going to come when the sun rises. Jesus never came. And they were waiting. Maybe he will come a little bit later, around like in the morning time, breakfast time. No? Noon time. No. In the evening, maybe. And they waited after sunset. Jesus may come at night, like a thief in the night. He never came. When that night came of October 22nd, when that midnight passed and October 23rd came around, they were all, all heartbroken. Not only that, people, so many people that have believed the message of Millerite movement, a lot of them turn their backs on them and say, you know what? You guys are, are fanatics. What you have said that it is true is all wrong. And they all left faith. And only a few people, a small group of people left behind. They were still remaining faithful to God. And they studied the Bible more and said, what have we done wrong? Because we were all inspired. This is so true. They have studied. They went back to the Bible and they studied again. And that's where the Adventist uh, the movement or Adventist came out from. The group that had been disappointed and remained faithful, that's how Adventist church started. This is a quote that I want to share from uh, Ellen White's um, biography, uh, volume 1, page 53. It says this, Is there no God? No heaven, no golden home, city, no paradise. Is all this but a cunningly devised fable? We wept until the day dawn. So you can imagine, she was so heartbroken, and she wept all night. Not only that, everyone there, they all wept all night. And through that time, they, were all have, they all went through mockery, ridicule, persecution. That's what they went through. And Ellen White, experiencing that and all the other pains and sufferings that she went through. Remember, she had four children. Two of them died early. You know that? Her first child died when he was 16 years old. Her last child, she had four sons, and the last baby died when he was only three months old. So if you can think about, if you imagine 
losing your own child. Before you die, you lose your child and bury your child. There is no worst kind of pain than that. I mean, losing your husband, your wife, your parents, it's painful. But losing your child, it's just so painful. And miscarriage is hard enough. But if you've had relationship with him or your child, your daughter, just imagine that as a parent. That would be a terrible suffering. And Ellen White says, all those things that I went through, I couldn't remember any of those. Because those things that we went through, yes, they were difficult at times. But in heaven, those things mean nothing. Because heaven is that awesome. Friends, do you want to go to heaven? If you feel pain in this world, if you think it, this world is a, a difficult place, a terrible place to live, if you experience some kind of discrimination, if you, you experience some kind of injustice here on earth, heaven is the place to be. Because that place, when we go there, all everything that we have experienced will just wash away. All was worth it. Because we now have heaven. But friends, if you and I, if we lose heaven, oh man, that will be, there is nobody else that is more sad or even terrible than that. Because you and I have this hope, this faith, that we look forward to this, this great heaven, this reward that God has prepared for us. But if we miss that now, that would be a terrible thing. So you and I have to make it to heaven. Amen? Amen. Now, the Bible talks about this. Uh, in verse 2, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I talked about this before. But let me ask you a question. The Bible says, 20, Revelation 21, verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying. So when the Bible talks about the leaves of the tree of life is there for the healing of the nation. Why do you need healing when there is no sickness, when there is no more pain, when there is no more death? Do you need medicine up in heaven? The leaves of the trees, the leaves of the tree was for the healing of the nations. What healing from what? So we need to understand what that means under the tree and healing and, and, and that context. So here I want to introduce you to some of the verses the Bible talks about. First Kings four twenty four to twenty five. It says, For Solomon had dominion over everything west of the Euphrates, over all the kingdoms of uh, kingdoms from Tishba to Gaza, and he had peace on all sides. Throughout the days of Solomon, Judah and Israel dwelt securely from Dan to Beersheba, each man under his own vine and his own fig tree. So the time of Solomon, we know, is one of the most prosperous time in the history of Israel. David was the one who had the made kingdom the strongest, but Solomon was the richest. And Solomon and David, it was a time that Israel had the best time, the highest time. Now, it says from Dan to Beersheba. The Dan is the north, northern end of the territory, and Beersheba is the southern end, except, except for the desert in, in the Gaza area, or in, in the bottom area. And uh, the, 
basically everything was all peaceful, and they were the richest. All the nations surrounding them actually uh, paid them money each, each year. So they had it all figured out. It was all good. There was peace. And at the end, it mentions what? Every man, each man, will sit under his own fig tree, his own vine tree. So what does that mean? Sitting under your own fruit tree to enjoy the fruits, meaning you have peace in that land. If there is war, if there is some kind of persecution, do you think you will have time to sit under your tree and enjoy the fruit? No. (laughs) But if you have peace in your heart, if everything is going well, then you will bring your lawn chair out and sit under the shade of the tree. (sighs) This is life. We do that at the beaches, right? When you go to the beach, you sit there and you just relax and you listen to the waves and you just soak in. That's what we do. That's what they did because ocean was, was not easy for them to access. So what's easy for them is just bring your chair out, sit under their own tree and enjoy the scenery, enjoy the beauty that's there, enjoy this time of relaxation, time of peace. So sitting under a tree means everything is peaceful and you are enjoying. That's what it means. Second verse about sitting under a tree. Genesis 18, 1 through 5. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great tree of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham took, looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bow low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water brought, be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and uh, rest under this tree. Let me get something to eat so you may be refreshed under the tree, like King James Version says, and then go on your way. So here... In, in Revelation, uh, Genesis chapter 18, talks about uh, Abraham sitting under a tree, and he's looking outside in the during the day, and he sees three men, three strangers walking by, and he goes, he rushes to them, he bows down, and then says hi, and he is doing what? Inviting them to come sit under a tree, and what is it? What did he say he's going to do? He's going to do two things. One, he's going to bring water out so they can wash their feet and refresh. Second, he's going to bring out what? Food so they can eat and refresh. So that happened where? Under a tree. So sitting under a tree means you are treating guests. Or you're fellowshipping with someone else. That's what that means, sitting under a tree in the biblical context. So when we go to heaven and when we sit by that tree of life next to the river of life, what are we going to do? We are going to sit there and relax, enjoy peace that God has provided for us. And we are going to treat our guests and fellowship. That's what we are going to do. Do you want to do that? Amen. Now, let's go back to this portion of healing of the nations. So, the leaves 
are there for the healing of the nations? Do you eat leaves of a tree? Usually, no. You eat the fruit, not the leaves, right? Sometimes you could, like tea and stuff. But here, this is what it means. The word healing of the nations, the word nations in Greek is ethnos. Ethnos. Does that sound similar to an English word? Ethnic, yes. So this word is a root word for ethnicity or ethnic. That's what it means. And in the Bible, this word ethnos, which is translated as nations in this verse, is translated in other places as Gentiles. Gentiles. So healing of the nations would mean healing of the ethnicity or healing of Gentiles. That's what it could mean in the Bible. So let me ask you a question. So in the Jewish context, who were their enemies? Well, so the Israelites, back in the Bible times, Israelites, their enemies were some, some people that they, that, hated, that they hated were Samaritans. Right? And also, they had their enemies, like Egyptians or Assyrians or Babylonians, that people that have come and, and bothered them and took everything from them and killed their family and so on. They were the enemies. Okay? Now, when, when the Israelites, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Samson and all those people, when they go to heaven, when they see those enemies, some of them are saved and then they're up in heaven, what do you think they would feel? These are the guys that have come and taken everything from my house. These are the guys that have come and killed my mom, my dad. Do you think they would feel a little bit, they will have a little bit of grudge in their heart? Possibly. When the Samaritans go up to heaven, if any of them are saved and go to heaven, when they see Israelites, that people that treated them as dogs and hated them and spat on them, what do you think they would feel? They would feel this, like, something, like, oh, you know, I, I'm not really happy that these guys are here. I'm happy everybody else. I'm, I'm happy to make friends with everybody else, like people from America, people from Mexico, China, and, and everywhere else, Europe and Asia. I mean, those new people that I've never met before, but the Samaritans or these Israel people, I don't like them. So we have differences. We've had history. We've had our own tradition. So this word ethnicity could mean ethnical differences. Right? So we have different cultures represented here, different languages, and different skin color represented here. I love our church here. But sometimes that difference, cultural differences and linguistic differences, can make make divisions. Do you agree? Because of the, the, the accent that we have, because of the, the, the food that we like, because of the things that we do, the tradition that we have, can be dividing walls among people. That all happened from when? That all started from the Tower of Babel, when the language got split and people got scattered all over the world. That's what happened. So, if you think about people groups that have hated each other, like the Jews and Gentiles, 
How about Jews and Nazi? Concentration camp. Do you think they will get along well up in heaven? They will eventually. At the beginning, they were like, what are you doing, <laughs> what are you doing here? That's what they will say. That's how they will feel. How about the Muslims and, and Christians? How about different political parties? The election is coming up. <laughs> different political parties. Do you think they'll be able to join and fellowship and dance together up in heaven? Woo, careful. <laughs> How about uh, Arabs and Israelis? How about black and white and brown? I need to be very careful here, but we all can agree that there is injustice out there. And there are people that are discriminated. There are people who are, it's just a messy out there. When those people groups go to heaven together, when they sit next to each other, people who are protesting, people who are in different groups, do you think we'll be able to get along at the beginning? We would have to. We would have to learn to get together and get along. And that is this healing that the Bible is talking about. The leaves are there for the healing of the nations, healing of ethnos. So it's not physical healing that we need a doctor for. It's not the surgery that we need. It is a healing of the nations. And Rwanda, remember the genocide in 1994? The Hurus and the Tutsis. So I went back and I looked it up. I, I remember some of my friends from, from uh, Africa, from like... Uh, Ghana or Zimbabwe and other places or South Africa, they would come and tell me about what they experienced. Well, I don't have any friends from Rwanda, but uh, they would tell us about the neighboring countries because they were closer. Um, I'm in a different continent altogether. But they would they will come and tell me, and this is what I got from the internet. Basically, what they went through is that uh, during the 100 days, they had about 800,000 people killed, murdered within three months of time. Husbands killing their wives. Neighbors killing them. And the priests are pastors inside a church, killing the people inside, sitting inside his own church because they are from the different tribe. And that happened because one group thought they were better than the other group. I mean, in that country, so 75% of the Hudus got killed by Tutsis. And when those people go to heaven together, it will be difficult to experience the other person that came and killed you. But I'm glad that the leaves of the tree of life is there for the healing of the nations. Without that, we may be difficult to get along. But because of the promise that God has given, there will be healing. So when we go to heaven... Do you think we'll be all the same color, same, same hairstyle, same hair color, and same skin color? We'll be all having the same culture and speak the well, language we may, we may be healed. And, and language as well. Like the language will be healed. But we now speak different languages. There are thousands of different languages in the world. But when you go to heaven, we will speak one language. You don't have to learn the new language. You will be just like a baby learning a new language. We will have this new heaven language, heavenly language. We don't need translation up in heaven. That also is a result of this, this sin, translation. We won't need that. When you go to heaven, 
we would experience the healing. We would not change our color. We would not change our, either we have uh, curly hair or straight hair or whatever that may be. We would not change. We would be the same. But when you go to heaven, we will all be one family, one brother, sister, one family. And that's how we will be. If we do not get along here, it may be because of the environment that we are in. But when you go to heaven, we have to get along. We will get along because we are all one family because of the blood of Jesus. Friends, do you want to go to heaven where there is healing? Do you want to sit by the tree, sit under the tree of life, by the river of life? Do you want to sit there and fellowship with our brothers and sisters? Is that your desire? And I pray that we all have the desire to go to heaven. May we meet at the riverbank of life. May we gather under the tree of life. And may we all share the fruit of the tree of life. Let us experience God's blessing and His promise here today so we can look forward to the healing of the leaves. We can look forward to the drinking of the water, the fresh water, the pure water of river of life and eating of the fruit of the tree of life. Today's uh, offering is for, if you can go to the next slide, today's offering is for the Calexico Mission School. So that's for the loose offering. And the rest of the offering, you can either pay your offering ex as you are exiting. There will be a basket out there or a plate out there. You can drop your offering there. Or you can just continue to give it online. There, uh, you have your choice of doing that. Let us pray for the offering and for our worship today. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the promise of the river of life and the tree of life. How you are going to give us peace. You are going to restore heaven completely. How the Bible has started from the tree of life and is going to end with the tree of life. And the river flowing from the throne of God, from the source of life, the source of glory and and grace and love, that river is going to flow, and we want to drink that water. We want to have the sip of that water, Lord. So, Lord, we pray that you please take us to heaven. We don't like it here, and we want to go to heaven. So, Lord, we pray that you please give us a desire to go to heaven. And when we go, may the leaves of the tree of life bring us healing from the ethnos, from the differences that we have, from the the linguistic, the cultural, the, the traditional, and the wounds and the scars that we have in our heart. May all of those be healed and may we rejoice, may we celebrate, may we sing praises, may we sing in the choir together as one family. Until that day, please help us to look forward to the time that you are going to come back to take us home soon. Help us to be faithful so we can all join and go to heaven together. And as we give this offering, may you would take this offering and use it to further your gospel, use it to strengthen your church and your mission work. Please take our offering and use it for your glory, Lord. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.